because of who we see God as being. We, we, we see God in a certain way. And because of that, we have made a commitment. And as I talk on the anniversary of this ministry and of this church, I'm saying we have made a commitment. And to illustrate this, I want to draw your attention to a picture. See, in the Old Covenant, the first 39 books of the Bible, there are pictures of Jesus Christ and of our Christian life. And so I go to the book of Joshua, chapter 20 and verse 1, where it says, The Lord spoke to Joshua. Speak to the children of Israel. Appoint for yourself cities of refuge. Now, these cities in Israel at the time, they were actual cities, clearly marked. They were scattered across the country. There were six of them in total so that every person living in the country would be within a, a geographical proximity to those particular, uh, one of those cities. Now, for us living today, these cities of refuge are a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God cares about us. There is a, a scripture verse in the New Testament that, that alludes to this, where it talks about people who have received Christ, and it says in Hebrews 6 and verse 18, it says, we have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. This is a picture of, of our life that when we came to Christ, Christ is our refuge, and we laid hold of that. And this tells us something. I, I submit, and I put it on the screen here, that the cities of refuge demonstrate that God's plan has always been to restore people who are in trouble. Uh, think about that. Leave it up there for a moment. You see, the cities of refuge were set up for people who had committed certain kind of crimes, even murder, manslaughter, that under certain conditions, they could run to the city of refuge and be saved and be restored and not have to lose their life. And I would say that our message to your family, to ourselves individually, to our nation, to the country, and to the world is this, that God's plan is to help people in trouble. If someone in Israel was in trouble, they had done something stupid, and everybody might have said, well, you know, away with that person. Their life isn't worth anything. God is saying, there is a refuge for you. And we want to say that to everybody in our city. You can come to your city of refuge. Think about it. And Rahab was a prostitute, but she ran for refuge and she became a part of the ancestral line of Jesus Christ. Think of Saul of Tarsus, who was full of murder, full of hatred, and he became the apostle of the new covenant. Come on. How many know that there is hope for everyone? And so let's go into this picture. I would say the cities of refuge were a place of safety. Once you were in that city, you were safe. Uh, to many people, sadly, salvation is just some escape, escape from hell, escape from punishment. But I want to submit to you that there is safety 
in Jesus Christ. You see, you belong to Christ. You are identified with Christ so that everything God is, everything God has promised, all of God's will, all of God's justice, all of God's ability is on your side. You are identified with him as he is, so are you in this world. I want you to enjoy your safety. Many Christians, they don't feel safe. They always feel like they're going to lose their salvation or they, they always don't know where they are at. You know, the Bible even says in one place that Christ has paid doubly for our sins. Now, nobody needs to pay double, but just in case somebody wanted to argue, your sins have been entirely paid for. That's why Jesus said in John 6, 37, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Everybody say, by no means. In other words, there's not going to be any argument. There's not going to be any means. There's not going to be any kind of thing that comes up that would cause me to cast you away. You are accepted in the beloved. Why is that? Why is that? That everyone is, is, is included and no one is cast out because you have been paid for and you belong with your heavenly father. Now look at this. I'm continuing to read about the cities of refuge. It says in verse 6, he referring to this criminal in, in, in question, he shall dwell in that city. Live there in the city of refuge and stand before the congregation for judgment. And until the death, and it says, and wait till the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own house. Two things here. So, some people might say, oh, well, you know, you teach about God's grace and Jesus put away our sin. It makes people think that they can just live or do whatever they want. No, there are safety valves in the new covenant. There's accountability. If your brother has wronged you, your sister has wronged you, you go to them. You don't go to everybody else and talk to them. You go to them. If you've done something right, wrong, then you make restitution. You take charge. You be a person of your word. If you made a promise and for some reason you didn't keep that promise, own it. Take it upon yourself. And so it says here, he had to stand before the congregation. You see, it doesn't mean that if, because Jesus has forgiven all of our sins, that we have no responsibility. No, we are a people of accountability. Now, if you, Paul says in one place, if you want to fight with everybody, well, you'll get bitten yourself. How many know that if you walk into a restaurant and smack somebody in the head, you probably get smacked yourself? You know, it's not that hard. It's, it's kind of easy to start a quarrel. You just start speaking bad about people. So that's not what we're advocating. We're saying we're living a life of accountability. We are accountable to God. We are accountable to one another. But at the same time, whatever we have done, there is forgiveness, not retribution, but restoration from our God. Amen. And it said here, so you will stand before the congregation. And it says, but then when the high priest dies, that was the key. When the high priest dies, then you can be restored and go back to your family and everything is all right. And that's the gospel. Do you see how it's pictured here in the book of Joshua? We have a high priest, not just a priest who makes a sacrifice. He himself is our sacrifice. And we go free because our high priest took our sin, took our guilt, took our shame. You've heard me say that, you know, in different parts of the world, 
people struggle with different things. And I, I think it bears repeating that, say, if you come from Northern Europe or uh, South America, out of the three, guilt, shame, and fear, you probably are most plagued by guilt. You know, have you heard of Catholic guilt? Some of you have heard about that. But there's Presbyterian guilt too, you know. And let's not even talk about Pentecostal guilt. <laughs> or Baptist guilt, you see? So, so people, uh, and, and, and that's, that's a reaction. I've done something wrong. Now Jesus took our guilt. Now in some cultures, the biggest concern, but it's guilt as well, but it's shame. Many cultures it's like, you know, I don't want to bring shame to my family. I shame my household. That's why you have something called honor killings. Because people, they feel such shame. And I have good news that the gospel covers that. Whosoever shall call on the name of Jesus shall never be ashamed. That's good news. Now, in some cultures, it's not primary guilt. It's not probably primary shame. It's fear. You know, there's some parts of the world where I'm talking to people, and if sin has come into their life, it's not that they feel so guilty or ashamed. They are more afraid that now the devil is going to control them. So they have fear. Oh, maybe I've done something, so I've positioned myself for evil spirits to take over. And again, the gospel of what our high priest has done, it answers your concern. Oh, come on, are you with me? Jesus Christ triumphed over all principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. So I tell you, guilt has been nailed to the cross. Shame has been nailed to the cross. Fear has been nailed to the cross. Now what do we do? We lay hold of it. Lay hold of that. Take a hold of that. And that's our safety. Now, Here's something else. The cities of refuge were by necessity accessible to everyone. This was a big deal. All classes of people, all tribes, no discrimination. There had to be signage that said refuge pointing in the direction so that if anybody's running for their life, they know exactly where to go. They know exactly where they're going to be safe. And, and, and so... This was all across Israel. Now, there is an application for us today. We want the gospel to be accessible to everyone, to your family. And I'm very concerned that the gospel is not very accessible. Why is that? Because many churches, they don't preach the gospel or they preach such a dilution of the gospel that it's hard to see it in there. You know, we evangelicals, for example... We have a special love for saying the prayer. We do it in our church, so when people want to receive Christ, we lead them in a prayer. But we've almost made the saying the prayer like uh, that's the Savior. But you know, in the Bible, there's actually no instance where one of the apostles led the people in a salvation prayer. We do that. I did that in Indonesia. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Uh, because the Bible doesn't say there's anything wrong with it, but I'm saying we have made such a big deal of that so that when we talk about a person, we say, well, you know, he said the prayer once. Well, he said the prayer. So we, we, we almost, it's like, how many people can we get to say the prayer? 
So some people, they can run around the city and say, we're doing street evangelism. And, and, and they have special formulas, how they actually kind of box people in. So just to get rid of the person doing the witnessing, they kind of agree to say the prayer. Okay, we check that one off. We made that such a thing. But you know, saying the prayer doesn't save you. The salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation is Christ coming to live in you. If any person is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Now, then we can say the prayer. We may do that here today. I'm not against it at all. In fact, I practice it frequently, but, but I don't hang my salvation on saying a prayer. We need to reveal Christ to the world. We need to show uh, the world that Christ is for everyone. That's why I told, talked to you that, that I told the journalist in our conference there in our, in, our, in our campaign in Indonesia, I told the pastors, I told the people, I said, I've, I've come with a new idea. And they all think, well, we know the new idea. I said, the idea is that Jesus Christ is for everyone. No one has monopoly on Jesus. Jesus is for the world. And, and we need to know that in Toronto. We need to make it so crystal clear because many people in Toronto and Canada, they don't see this. They think we are against everybody. They think we are Bible thumpers that are wanting to hit people in the head with our big black Bibles. Don't look at me like that. They think we are finger waggers. I just want to tell people everything, what's wrong with everybody. No, we are representatives of Jesus Christ. We are saying Jesus is accessible for everyone. If no one likes you, if you're so bad that society has no place for you anymore, there's a place for you. Come to your heavenly Father. You are beloved of God. Oh, somebody get excited about that. We want to make it clear. And you see, this is the big issue. You know, I think I receive questions all the time. People ask me questions. I've been in ministry now for so many years. I know that people ask me all kinds of questions. They ask me, oh, they used to ask me, is Saddam Hussein the Antichrist? Oh, it's the war in Russia in the book of Revelation. Pastor, what about drinking? What do you think of that? Uh, what about this? What about that? You know, people ask me all kinds of things. I don't think anybody has ever said to me, Pastor Peter, how can Jesus live through me bigger? They want to know about everything else in the periphery. What do you think about this? What do you think of this politician? Oh, what do you think of this? But it seems nobody's asking the essential question. How in the midst of whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm facing, how can I allow the Christ who lives in me to shine through when doubts and fears come, when I feel like crying, when I feel like giving up. Do you know that Christ is with you right there? How can Christ arise in me in my darkest moment? How can Christ arise if I fail? How, how can I tap into the, That's the question. You see, Jesus Christ himself is our city of refuge. And we are learning and we are growing in, living a life of being conscious of the Christ who is in us. My salvation doesn't hang up on that. You know, many years ago, when I was 13 years old, I said a prayer. <laughs> I don't even know what I said in my prayer. I've forgotten the prayer. But I, I, I have Christ in me now. 
I'm living with Christ. Christ, of course, I was upheld by Christ before I knew him. Before every person in the world, everything created is upheld by Christ. But then you discover Christ. We reveal Christ. And people say, aha, the one who created me, he lives in me. And their eyes are open and they begin to grow in Christ. And they begin to mature in Christ. Oh, come on. This is the Christian life. And so run to Jesus Christ. Let me give you some more. One of the expressions of for time's sakes, I'm abbreviating them, in the story of the cities of refuge, it says, flee to that place and then stay there. So I say, flee to the refuge, then refuge, then stay there. You know, flee. That means you're running for your life. I want, we want to say to people across our country, flee from your religion. I know you thought you were going to say, I was going to say drug addiction there, but I said flee from your religion that has so wearied you, that has so tired you, that has told you for so many years that you're not good enough, that has given you all the 10 keys to victories and the 15 keys to breakthrough, and you still haven't got your breakthrough. Flee from it. Flee. All you who are tired and heavy laden down, flee from your religion whatever kind it is, and flee to Jesus Christ and then stay with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're an atheist, if you're an unbeliever, you can flee to Jesus too, but I, I thought that might be, you know, more applicable to just mention the religion, you know, that's wore you down, that made you such big promises. And yet, you go back again. You go back for more. You go back for more. It's like somebody coming to your house, knocking the door, and you open up and they talk to you and they say, can I use your washroom? And then they use your washroom, and then you noticed two hours later that some of your pearls are gone. You say, well, that rascal got to me. I left him unattended here. He but then the next day, the same guy knocks on your door again. Can I use your washroom? You say, oh, yeah, come on in. This time, your beautiful retirement gold watch is gone. Third day, knocks again. Comes in and says, I, I need to use your washer. Appreciate it so much. That time, I don't know what is gone. Maybe you had some, uh, some secret money stashed somewhere and it's gone. And people say, aren't you ever going to learn? No, no. See, that's how religion is. It just robs you blind. It came to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus is referring to religion. He's referring to the false shepherd. And people go back for more. They go back for more. They fall in the same trap. So I'm saying flee to Jesus. Get out of it. Jesus Christ is enough. You are not called to bondage. You're called to freedom. And then when you flee to Jesus Christ, stay with Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the point. It says in 1 Timothy 6, 19, lay hold on eternal life. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, in an acceptable time I've heard you. In the day of salvation I've helped you. Look, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So to stay with Jesus, you know there's a fancy word for that? Discipleship. Everybody say discipleship. Now, to some people, discipleship is getting someone to say the prayer and then telling them all the rules. 
of that particular brand of Christianity. That, that's kind of discipleship. We've got to get you back on Wednesday night, and we're going to tell you what you really got to do. You see, that, that's discipleship. But discipleship is teaching people about Christ. In fact, I'm doing discipleship every Sunday that I'm preaching. I know Pastor Nathan is the same. You see, to some people, discipleship is you win a person to Christ, and as soon as they say yes, then you come with all your religious rigmarole and rules on top of that. This was a temptation 2,000 years ago. It says in Acts chapter 15 where they had a big feud about this, and, 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 and certain people wanted to lay heavy rules on the new believers. They kind of just wanted to, you know, teach them all the things that they should do so they could become like just, just like the old religious folks. And it says after this feud, it says like this in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to lay upon them any greater burden. And then they warned against, uh, you know, supporting the idolatry business and fornication. But said, we didn't want to lay any of these other rules upon them. No greater burden. I want to say to you, our discipleship is to help people stay with Christ. That's our discipleship. We don't have a discipleship program of laying burdens on people that are particular to our specific brand of Christianity. Our discipleship is encouraging people to stay with Christ. When the going gets tough, if you failed, stay with Christ. You say, well, well, what about people, you know, they, they get involved in anger and lust and all those things. Well, 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 what are you going to do then? I'm going to encourage them to stay with Christ because Christ in them will work. Somebody got mad at me and said, oh, you know, I don't know. I feel you're emphasizing God's love too much and they get all in a huff. See, we don't want to give Jesus a chance. We think we can fix people's lives. But I got news for you. I've been at that for a while. I don't fix anybody's life. But I know the fixer. I know the one who comes and lives inside of you. You've heard me tell the story about that man. He, was, he didn't know if it was a man or a woman. He came to our church a number of years ago, and he came and met me at the door. I thought it was a woman. You know, it just, it was, it just was a woman, I thought. And, 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 and he said to me, she said to me, uh, I'm here because I hear you're a loving preacher, and, and, and you treat people nice. She said, I tried, well, I won't say anything she said because it wouldn't be nice but to quote her, but I'm just saying, I, I ended up here. And she said, and she said, you know, I'm really a man. I said, oh, you're really a man. Well, that's, and I said, well, I said, I said, well, you're welcome. I'm glad you could come. Well, I, I don't want to change. Well, I said, I'm not in the business of changing people. That's not that's above my pay grade. I don't uh, deal with uh, changing lives. Uh, can't do that. But I said, what I do here is I, I teach Jesus Christ. I teach Jesus Christ consistently. That's what you get a steady diet. And I said, now, if you come here for a while and then Jesus starts changing me, you're not going to blame me, are you? I'm just preaching Jesus. But now if he wants to change you, that, that's not my problem. Are you with me? <laughs> Look at somebody and smile a bit. 
You say, this pastor has a different logic. No, I have gospel logic. I'm saying it's not my problem. If Jesus starts to mess around with your habits and lives, like, don't blame me. I'm just preaching Jesus. I'm like a little innocent boy up here just preaching Jesus. Don't blame me. Not trying to change anybody, just revealing him. And so some weeks went by, and this person came. And then one day, one Sunday morning, I said, if you want to receive Christ, would you raise your hand? And, and I saw this person raise her hand. Now, I knew it wasn't her. I know it was a him, but everybody else thought it was a her, so I got to stay with the program. And I wanted to receive Christ. So, you know, so then one of the ladies in the church went up to this person and prayed with them. and We, we had a wonderful time. Next week, she's back, looking the same way. I don't change people's lives. Now, see, if I was one of these eager beaver Pentecostals, I'd try to go in everybody's face and say, but see, I'm nobody's savior. I'm just God's messenger. I'm a farmer boy planting spiritual seed of Jesus Christ. And if you open your heart a little bit, if you just open a little bit, a little tiny bit, not too much, you know, just open a little bit, I'll plant that seed in you, and before you know it, it's going to be a harvest. Don't blame me for the harvest. You open your ear, you open your heart, and I just put it in there. So to make a long story short, one day a new man arrived in the church, and I didn't recognize him. It was her, but he was him now. I said, I didn't make any fuss. I just went up and said, nice to see you. You know, you know, yeah, I, I know need to know everything. Oh, my pastor should know everything. Oh, please. I don't need to know everything. I'm just watching. Then we had a second service. And now uh, he, he, he was there for the second service. And he just came up to me. Up and says, can I give a testimony? I didn't know what the person was going to say. You know, it could be anything. So I said, oh, go ahead. Gave the microphone. And he says, you know, Jesus has been speaking to me, and he told me this week that I should dress like a man. Oh, I said, yeah, he told me, he said, I couldn't even find my men's clothes because I had them hidden so far away. <laughs> but he said, now, I didn't, you, you may have, you, you get mad for me telling this story, you can get happy. I'm just telling you what happened. See, that's how it works. Stop trying to change your family. Stop trying to change everybody. Have a little puny faith that if there is a change needed, Jesus can work on people. Come on. Ha. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. I'm not using any therapy on you. You look beyond therapy. When I look at you, I think you are beyond therapeutic hope here. I don't know what to do with you. But I preach Jesus Christ, and with him there is hope for everyone. But I'm not giving you therapy. Come on now. I know you're looking a little bit confused, but you can think about it. So what do you do with people? Well, it says in Titus chapter 2, i got to hurry. I can't believe this. I got caught up on this point here. It, it, it says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, 
righteously and godly in this present age. So God's grace saves us, but the same grace, not something different, it teaches us to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. It says in another scripture, I don't have time to go there, that people reign in life by the gift of righteousness and by the abundance of God's grace. So when we disciple people, we teach them about the gift of God's righteousness. And then we tell, teach them about abundance of grace. And if they struggle with an addiction, if they struggle with a problem, then we reveal the grace of God even more. And we reveal Jesus Christ and the abundance of his mercy to you. Praise God. And that's how you, according to the Bible, not according to religion, but according to the Bible, that's how we reign in life. Okay, I got to get to my last point here because this is going to be like juicy. Are you with me? Here's a nugget. Even the really deep people will find something beautiful here. Our city of refuge is Jesus. It says in Joshua 20, verse 7, they appointed, and this sounds like I'm speaking in tongues here, but just follow with me. They appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Shechem, on the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kiriat Arba, which is Hebron in the mountains of Judah, and on the other side of Jordan by Jericho, eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. That's a lot of strange Hebrew words there, isn't it? But, but I read them all. And here's a beautiful illustration of how someone comes to Christ, grows in Christ, and really lives in that city of refuge. Because these are the names of the six cities of refuge in Hebrew. So let's, I think they put them on the screen. Kadesh was the first one. It means righteousness. Second one, Shechem, means a shoulder. You know, you, you say you put your shoulder to the work. You put your shoulder into it. Then the third one, Hebron. Hebron was a city of brotherly love. It means friendship and love. The fourth city of refuge, Bezer, it means security. We're safe. The fifth city, Ramoth, means heights or the high place. And finally, the sixth city was Golan, which means a never-ending circle. Notice the sequence of this. I want you to, are you with me here now? I'm going to give you something to think about. The first city of refuge was Kadesh. You've heard of Jehovah Kadesh, the Lord, our righteousness. You know, that's the first discovery. We come feeling maybe ashamed, maybe guilty, maybe afraid. And someone tells us what Jesus did on the cross, that he is your righteousness. Your sins have been wiped away. That's your first discovery of Jesus. Oh, it's not of my own. By grace I am saved. It is a gift of God. He is my righteousness. Oh, come on. That's beautiful. Now, now, the second one, the second one was Shechem. It means shoulder. It has to do with putting your strength into it. So often the second discovery in our life is that Jesus Christ has strength. He is my strength. He is my healer. He can heal me. He can, he can give me strength. I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can have the gifts of the Spirit. That's often an exciting discovery. Some people never got beyond the first one, but if you get to the second one where you discover that Jesus Christ is not just the one who is my righteousness and takes me to heaven, he is my strength now. How many think that's great? 
But then the third is friendship. You discover he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's spiritual growth. That's discipleship. You're discovering nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not your worst, not your best. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I am the beloved of God. Oh, some people discover that. That's exciting. You're growing in the Lord. Now you say, oh, yeah, I'm not just saved and go to heaven. And it's not just like I can call on God in trouble. He's my strength. He loves me. I'm accepted. I'm a part of the family. Oh, that's a beautiful discovery. Then the fourth city, Bezer, means safety, security. You know, many, many Christians are so nervous. They always think that they're, I don't know if I'm, if God is happy with me today or tomorrow. You know, God's not happy with you because you're so sweet. <laughs> Even though I know you're pretty sweet. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you're pretty sweet. Uh -uh. God isn't basing his love for you on that. He has accepted you because of Jesus Christ. You are a part of the family. You are accepted, so you are safe. You're not coming to church because if I don't show up next Sunday morning, maybe I will lose my salvation. Oh, no, you come because I love coming together to be strengthened, to grow, to mature, to learn more. I receive spiritual food. I'm safe with God. Then the next city is Ramoth which means the high place. Now, some people never come to that, but I believe our church is there and we're going stronger in it. You say, now that I've discovered this, I'm not this insecure religious worshiper, guilt-ridden. No, I'm safe. I'm the beloved of God. It's time to live the high life. I, wanna, I want to abound. I want my life to count for something. I want to have a purpose. If Jesus died for me and I'm included in his death and resurrection, it's not so that I would live for myself, but now I live for him who died for me and gave himself for me. I've discovered the width and the height and the length and the depth of his love. I got to live for something. And wonderful family of God, this ministry, I tell you something, we have something to live for. We have something great. We, we have something to run with. We have a message that the world is hungry to hear. And then you have Golan, which is the never-ending circle. That means eternal life. You know a circle is eternal. The number eight, some people love the number eight because there's two circles. <laughs> it never ends. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, that's the city of refuge. That's who Jesus Christ is to us. That's who we have decided that we want to be to this city and to this country. If you're tired of addictions, if you're tired of religion that's like a treadmill that never gets you anywhere, if you're tired of looking at God as a retributionary deity who is out to get you, and you say, I want to run from that. That's not God. That's a God I created in my own mind. That's a caricature. That's a non-existent God. I want to run to the God who is a restorer 
who even long before Jesus came set up a provision that there is refuge and help even for people who have really done stupid things. I'm going to run to that God. That God is worthy of my worship. Oh, thank you, Jesus.